0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. We are into week seven of the NFL season. The Seahawks return home after a third straight road win. And now Earl Thomas and the Baltimore Ravens are coming to town. Jake Luke of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast joins me today to preview Sunday's matchup. Jake, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, Brandon. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm a big fan of your guys' sights. Uh, You're one of the better SB Nation NFL sites, I think. Um, so yeah, definitely, uh, you know, love the stuff that you guys put out, and um, a lot of the people that you put into the the media, I'm I'm fans of as well. So uh, it's
0: it's the honors mine. Appreciate it, man. I I appreciate you coming on, talking about these this Ravens team. It's you know, you guys have been off to quite the start for you know, especially in your division. You got the four and two start. You had the really impressive win to start the season, fifty nine to ten over the Miami Dolphins. And now now that you're at four and two, what's kind of the sense of the national coverage that you're seeing for the Ravens?
1: So the sense is probably about what we would have expected through this point, you know, just kind of looking at the schedule, I would have thought four and two would probably be where I would think this team would be at. I think some of the losses and wins I would have switched out. You know, I didn't necessarily see them dropping one to Cleveland and I thought they would have lost one to Pittsburgh, um, you know, at Pittsburgh, you know, before the season started and we knew that Big Ben or we did not know that Big Ben wasn't going to be healthy. But um, it's kind of been... More of the same, and basically the, the one national story that the team kind of has on the radar is the performance of Lamar Jackson week in and week out. And, you know, he's slowly wor- you know, bringing some of his critics that he had over the summer and prior to that around, but there are definitely still some out there that are a little bit skeptical. So I would say in terms of a national standpoint, that's a lot of what the people around here have been tracking.
0: Well, Lamar has definitely been impressive through these first six weeks, and I felt like coming into the season— the narrative around Jackson was like, oh, you know, all he does is run the football. He's just a running quarterback. You know, he's not he's not really a threat to throw the ball downfield. And then you come out and you put up 59 points on the Dolphins, throw the ball over the field. And that hasn't really changed over the next few games. He's still throwing the ball around. I, I'm in, really impressed by the fact that now going into week seven, we have two of the top five offenses facing off now in, in this game between Baltimore and Seattle yeah it's an
1: interesting spot to be in you and i were joking you know offline a little bit before we got this going that i, I saw a tweet i was just looking at from uh, greg rosenthal of the around the nfl podcast and nfl.com and he said that the seahawks and the ravens meeting up for a matchup in which you have two top five offenses going at it and two mediocre defenses taking the field is definitely a sign of the end times and i got a
0: a little bit of a giggle out of that because it's very, very true. At least on our end, yeah. Well, what happened to the Ravens defense? I feel like going into the season, and uh, for me too, going and, and watching some of the Ravens games, I was expecting to see just what I'm used to out of a Ravens defense, and I I saw exactly that. I saw kind of a mediocre defense, and it sounds like that's what you're seeing too. Yeah, you know, to an
1: extent, I think the loss of talent was a little bit understated throughout the summer. You lose a Terrell Suggs who, even though he's getting up there in age, you see him now in the NFC West still playing at a pretty high level. Mm -hmm. He had been doing so for Baltimore for the past couple of years. Z'Darrius Smith right now tearing it up in Green Bay. I mean, you know, none, none of us here really would have seen that coming because... That's the age-old story of the Ravens pass rusher who has a career year, goes elsewhere, and then you know his career goes kaput. So those are two guys up front that you lose big-time losses. And C.J. Mosley, not for nothing, was a very good middle linebacker. I don't think they're necessarily feeling his loss as hard, especially with some of the guys they've brought in even in the last couple of weeks that are playing well at that position. But, yeah, man, I would just say up in the front seven, and especially in the teeth of that defense, Uh, they're, they're a little bit out of whack right now where they usually are in terms of talent and that's affecting them at every level. But I don't know, you know, the last couple of weeks they pulled it together a little bit with some of those signings they've made. And, uh, they just traded for a guy in the secondary who, you know, your team is very familiar with over the last couple of years. So we're going to see how that works out for them as well.
0: Yeah. So how are you viewing that trade for Marcus Peters? And do you expect to see him a whole lot on the field come Sunday?
1: You know, I personally really liked it, and uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna see his spots because the guy is a, a playmaker, and he goes for the you know the big play a lot, and, and that can lead to him getting burned. But it's funny because he was actually the defensive coordinator of the team. Wink Martindale was talking to reporters, and I think he said that Peters told him, "You know, I'm gonna let you know how much I'm ready to go." uh in this one and Wink basically said to him, you know what, just lie to me and tell me that you're hundred percent ready because we want to get you out there as much as we can. So uh I think he's gonna he's definitely gonna see his spots and we're gonna see how it works out. But you've got a, a loaded defensive backfield around him. So I think he's in a good spot to, you know, at least hold his own to start things off here.
0: Well I have to imagine that him being on a team now with Earl Thomas at free safety uh is is definitely gonna help him. But what have what have been your impressions of of Earl Thomas now here through six games?
1: So he definitely got his his lumps early on because they took a couple of losses that you you can definitely see them going into Kansas City and taking a loss. So that's not too bad. But there were some big plays being given up for the first couple of weeks and obviously the the big money signing that you bring in in that secondary who's not only supposed to be a great player but a great leader and communicator big plays people are automatically going to point to to that guy Uh and that's kind of what has happened around here or at least it had for a little bit and I never really bought into it because people just kind of really weren't throwing his way and I think those big plays were more of a sign of the defense collectively not playing very well but recently they've tightened things up and some of the chatter has quieted down about communication issues and whatnot so I really liked what I've seen in that he hasn't really gotten his name called a ton he has made a few plays he got an interception in week one and uh he does seem to be sort of the cagey veteran leader type of guy that they brought him in to be so i've been definitely very impressed and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what he can do maybe moving forward when they get even more talent into this defense and they get back to the reputation that they're known for having
0: so how about some of those other guys in the secondary that you look toward? Obviously, you have Marcus Peters. Now you have Earl Thomas. But are you was bringing on Peters kind of just part of a concern of the group overall? Obviously, Jimmy Smith with an injury. I don't even know when he's supposed to come back uh, in the season. Is he supposed to come back in the season?
1: Yeah, so he is uh, not this week, but probably next week. He just started practicing. To that point, I want to answer your question with a question. Great interview <laughs> technique. What is your opinion on uh, Marlon Humphrey, number 44?
0: Well, you know, when I was looking at the the players that you guys had in the secondary, he kind of stood out as probably the best guy in terms of pass defenses, interceptions. So he, he was the the name that stood out to me as probably the, the guy that the Seahawks have to worry the most about. Yeah, dude, he's uh, in my mind, easily a top five corner in the league right now. And just people
1: really don't talk about him in that breath. He may even be even better than that. I mean, the guy has been unbelievable since they brought him in in 2017 and he was looked at as a little bit of a reeks there at I think 17th in the first round in that Mm. 2017 draft and I didn't love the pick when it happened but he's completely blown me away in those two years since and he's been completely outstanding this year a couple of interceptions he's been great against the run he's just kind of that alpha dog that you like to see in the cornerback room so he's a guy that a lot of people in the national landscape just don't know about or really talk about at all but he's just completely you know that sort of alpha dog number one corner that you'd like to see. So I think the the Peter's trade, I like it from the perspective that he does not have to come in and be that number one guy because you have a, a dependable veteran in Brandon Carr. Jimmy Smith is going to come back, obviously not this week, but at some point. And then uh, Earl Thomas safety there. So there's just, there's good talent around him for him to make it happen. And um, you mentioned who are some of the other guys in the secondary. I would say Marlon Humphrey, if any yeah. Seahawks fans are listening to this aren't too familiar Get familiar because this guy's going to be a a very big name in the league for many
0: years to come. Well, then it sounds like uh, in terms of the defense, you guys have the talent on the back end of the defense, but not so much up on the front end. So the big question is, what is your confidence level that you're going to be able to get to Russell Wilson in time to make him throw quickly? Because, you know, obviously those guys can't cover forever.
1: So they're going to have to get creative. They're going to have to do, do some stuff where they can maybe force Russell into some coverage sacks, which against him is easier said than done because the guys, you know, I'm a huge fan. He's absolutely Houdini back there. I've loved him since the moment he took over that starting job in Seattle just for his ability to evade the rush and make plays. So I would say that they're going to have to get creative with how they use Peters, you know, what they end up doing with Humphrey as a part of adding him to the equation. They're, I'm guessing, going to be talking to Earl Thomas a little bit more than they usually are in these meetings, trying to get some insight as to what they can do against the offense to slow it down. Confidence level, not very high in terms of completely stopping them, but I think they're going to have some tricks up their sleeve.
0: And where do you come out on that? You know, obviously, Earl Thomas knows Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson also knows Earl Thomas. You know, these guys practicing against each other for so many years. Where do you give the edge in that matchup? man,
1: I would probably have to give it to the Seahawks offense just because I think Wilson is that good. You know, He's an MVP candidate. He's probably around where the number ranking of quarterbacks would be in terms of where Thomas would be in terms of safety. So I think just for the function of Wilson being at home on the overall better offense than and defensive matchup, I, I would probably give
0: him the edge there. Okay, so we've talked about how the only games that, that – that the Ravens have lost to so far have been the Chiefs and the Browns. uh, And that Browns loss was at home in Baltimore. So you have wins now over the Miami Dolphins, the Arizona Cardinals, the Cincinnati Bengals, and that, that overtime win over the Steelers at four and two kind of what's your sense of the team? Are you feeling pretty good about it or, you know, have the, have the win have some of those wins been close enough where you have a little bit of, of doubt in your team at this point?
1: Yeah, man, not exactly a murderer's row of wins, is it? I mean, you're looking at a team that's in all likelihood, is going to be in contention for the playoffs. And that's pretty much where I saw them at. But I didn't see them as necessarily a great team or a Super Bowl contender quite yet this year. I think they've got another or they're going to have to get another offseason under their belt before they're all the way there. So as of right now, you kind of you just got to play who's on your schedule and maybe try to pick off a couple of upsets here. This would certainly represent a very big upset. So my sense on the team is that they're. Yeah, they're good, but they're not great. And I'm sort of in the same boat with Cleveland right now, where I think they're good, they're not great. And it's going to come down to those two teams within this division to uh, see who takes it home at the end of the season.
0: Well, I, you got to like your chances within that division based on what you've seen from some of those other teams so far. I, I think probably 10 wins wins that division. And you guys, you know, being four wins already definitely have the uh, the upper hand against the your divisional rivals. But um, I'm curious about this offense. We haven't talked so much about the offense, and I feel like that's really the the highlight of this Baltimore Ravens team. And let's Can you talk about it again. For me, please? <laughs> <laughs> I know I've, I've been saying it about the Seahawks offense, too, but that yeah, I just think of all those pieces that so far this season, I mean, Lamar Jackson playing so well, you got Hollywood Brown is a rookie, You know, probably the top rookie receiver so far, uh, <laughs> apart from the Seahawks with DK Metcalf. And, you know, Mark Ingram, who I've always liked at running back and, you know, your, your tight end, um, Mark, uh, I know he's a Mark too. Yeah. Mark Andrews, <laughs> Mark Andrews. And, uh, and so all these pieces and, uh, am I missing anybody other than the awesome offensive line? You guys have a, a, all these pieces on the offensive line too.
1: Yeah, man. So some of the other under the radar guys, you got Willie Sneed there, who's the veteran at wide receiver. Uh, they drafted uh, Miles Boykin in the third round at wide receiver from Notre Dame, who has flashed a little bit. He's got a couple of touchdowns this season. Uh, he's a big bodied guy. Seth Roberts also in the mix in there. And then at tight end, I mean, you mentioned Mark Andrews, who was a third round pick in 2018. The same year, Hayden Hurst was a first round pick. So that's cool. And then you have Nick Boyle, who is probably the best run blocking tight end in the league. So they've got they're three deep there of guys mm. who could probably start for a lot of teams in this league. Running back, you mentioned Ingram. Justice Hill is a the guy they got in the fourth round that they like this year. He's a Pretty, you know, he has potential to be an electric pass kicking back. He haven't really needed it quite yet with Ingram playing so well, but Gus Edwards is another guy in the mix there who's kind of that same battering ram style as uh, Ingram. So, yeah, man, it's deep, and it shows what happens when you invest in the offense. I know as a Seahawks fan, you're probably familiar with the frustration of the front office focusing heavily kind of on investing on the defensive side of the ball and kind of neglecting the offense a little bit. The last two years, that hasn't been the case here in Baltimore. They've invested in the offense with guys such as, you know, Andrews and Hurst in the first and the third round. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't really see Ozzie Newsome do that, but Eric DaCosta came in as at the general manager position and has kind of brought a little bit of a more forward-thinking philosophy where the team's a little balanced out. And those investments, they haven't not come at a cost. You know, the defense is struggling this year, and I think that's part of the reason why. But seeing the team finally be exciting on offense for once is such a breath of fresh air around here. And I think it's uh, definitely worth the slight sacrifice that you've had to take on defense for this season.
0: Now, come on, Jake. I, I thought being innovative and exciting on offense was just throwing the football every single down, not running the ball at all. But, but, you know, the Seahawks and the Ravens are two teams that seem to be doing things a little bit differently than some of these other quote unquote, exciting teams around the league.
1: Zigwin, you know, everyone else zags, right? Everyone's kind of embracing, you know, let's get smaller, let's throw the ball over the yard. Defenses in accordance with that got a little bit smaller, and I think the franchises that stay at the cutting edge. I think Seattle's among them. I think Baltimore's among them. I think New England is among them. They said, you know what? Screw it. Let's get big and let's try to overpower some of these teams that are moving smaller and neglecting the inside of the defense and let's punish them with the run game. So as much as the passing game still is important, I think if you can kind of get a little bit creative and balance your team out a little bit more, I think running the football can be very important as well. And it's sort of the trendy analytics thing to say that running backs don't matter but a lot of people would say that will say yeah running backs don't matter but rushing still does matter and mm-hmm. i think that's definitely a very true sentiment so i think if you invest in it in the right way you get a big overpowering offensive line you can get a lot of guys back there that can make stuff happen but having a guy like a mark ingram or who you have over there in seattle a chris, yeah, chris carson,
0: carson who can make
1: things happen i mean that's just an added bonus for you
0: so I do want to talk passing, though, and Lamar Jackson. And I know yeah he showed up as like the ground player or one of the guys for ground player of the week this last week. I don't know if he actually he won, won it. it actually, <laughs> did he win it?
1: Yeah, he's the first player to ever win air and ground player. <laughs> oh, but- <you> have figures. <laughs> yeah,
0: figures. <laughs> Going into week seven against the Seahawks. Well, what what's actually worked? Uh, and maybe this is a, a, a tough question to ask after six weeks. But what's worked for slowing down Lamar Jackson?
1: Um, that's an interesting question. I would say probably getting him off his spot early, maybe getting him up in his face or also just kind of dropping back and covering guys to the point where nobody's open on those first couple of reads. But when you do that, he's also a very good runner. So, you know, he's able to take off and run and he's not taking nearly as much contact as he was last year, which is another huge improvement for him. So I would say what Kansas City was very successful at doing was kind of taking away some of the deeper routes and things like that and sort of getting him off his spot. And then that was another thing that worked in Pittsburgh where early on they rattled him a little bit and then there were guys open down the field and he just was not making the throw. So I would say getting pressure on him early and sort of confusing him a little bit is sort of your, your best hope at stopping him. So that would be my primary guess. I haven't watched all of his tape from the season, but the smart people that do, they, they tend to kind of lean in that direction.
0: All right, Jake. Well, I want to take a quick break. I I want to come back and, and get your compare and contrast between Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson and also get your prediction for Sunday's game. And we'll do that after the break. Talking to Jake Luke of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast and talking about the Ravens game coming up on Sunday. Going into the break, I wanted to know, Jake, between these two players, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, uh, they've both taken a similar amount of sacks on the year. And I feel like watching previous games with the Ravens that that Lamar Jackson can be equally frustrating in terms of you have a guy in the backfield. It looks like you're getting pressure on him. But then with Russell Wilson, he, he, he finds a way to escape. But with Lamar Jackson, he just puts his foot in the ground and runs the ball. And I I kind of wanted to get your thoughts of of what you've seen from Lamar so far and, and compare him a little bit with Russell Wilson in terms of that escapability.
1: I say what I really am impressed with him about, and it's something that a lot of people really don't notice, is that when he does sort of get that fire drill where there's a bunch of people up in his face and he ducks around and runs out into some open area outside of the pocket, he keeps his eyes downfield a la Russell when he's doing that sort of thing. And I would say he probably runs it a little bit more than Russell does, but he keeps his eyes up downfield enough to a point where he's a threat to throw and he does throw it a lot of the times. And that's how he makes some really great plays. You saw him doing that with Mark Andrews last week against Cincinnati. So I would say in terms of their escapability and their ability to keep their eyes down the field, instead of just pulling the trigger and rushing the ball, I think they're definitely comparable. I would also say their fluidity as as a runner. I mean, Lamar looks like a running back out there sometimes. I know the joke on social media is that he is a running back and can't throw the ball, but <laughs> when he gets in the open field, man, he he definitely looks the part. So I'd agree with that. And Russell, you know, in that similar vein is Guy who when he gets out there, he's just gonna Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge, and then he'll uh, take the slide and not take any contact. So I think he's he's very impressive in that aspect as well.
0: Well, I do want to flip back over to the defensive side of the ball. And one thing I was noticing about the Ravens defense is, that, you know, we, we've talked about how they're kind of mediocre, but I see them at fourth in the league at stopping the run 80 yards per game. But after watching a couple of the games, I, I didn't watch the Cardinals game, but I feel like that stat of being fourth in the league is a little deceptive.
1: Yeah, so they're about 20 second in total DVOA. I don't have their rushing DVOA ni- numbers right off the top of my head, but mm. it it feels like they've been stout at certain points, especially against you know how we were talking about some of those teams that they were supposed to beat like Arizona and I mean I'm not even going to throw Miami in there, but you know Cincinnati <laughs> last week and Pittsburgh. It feels like they make the plays that they sort of need to make a lot of the times, but what's killing them is giving up those big plays of the air and those communication issues, and that's probably what's hurting their numbers to an extent. And when you kind of have that fear and that hesitancy, that's going to allow people to break through in the run game a little bit more. So I would say, in the, in the fact that they're really not built to stop the run. I think the cost is building them with a little bit more of a modern mindset. Um, I think, yeah, those numbers probably are a little bit deceiving the way that you were saying.
0: Yeah, I guess it is about it. Looking at the rush defense DVOA, uh, 18th in the league, which is similar to Seattle at 21. So uh, both kind of in the middle of the pack.
1: Yeah, and they've had uh, a little bit of issues with injuries as well. Brandon Williams is kind of the run-plugging defensive tackle. He got paid some big money to do that a couple of years ago, and he missed the Cleveland game, and I think that was part of the reason why Nick Chubb ran buck wild all over mm. them and that actually led to Earl Thomas getting a little mad at him for missing the game because he wasn't injured it's still kind of a nebulous situation what happened there but he's played recently and uh, everything's been fine so hopefully he can stay into the lineup there and they can tighten things up on the run D a little bit and they have brought some guys in that have you know been a little bit more stout against it uh, Josh Bynes and LJ Ford who relative no names but Bynes is actually a guy who, you're going to like this, he made the last tackle against the 49ers in the Super Bowl about (laughs) seven years ago. Uh, He left the Ravens a couple years later and he was kind of bouncing around the league for a little bit, but they needed to inject some veteran presence and some physicality into the middle of that defense at the middle linebacker spot because Kenny Young, who they just traded for Marcus Peters, was a guy who was really not working out this year as a sideline, to sideline linebacker that they thought they had gotten in the fourth round out of UCLA. Didn't quite work out, so they bring in Bynes and four, two guys that have been pretty solid against the run, so I I think with them being a little bit more into the lineup consistently, I think those numbers are maybe going to improve a little bit. I
0: want to feel like you guys really got over on the Rams in this particular trade.
1: Yeah, I would think so. It depends on kind of what their perspective was with it, because it felt like they really didn't need to move Peters at all. Um, My guess would be that they just kind of loved Young in the draft. They saw an opportunity to get Ramsey, and maybe Peter said, you know what, that's fine. If you guys don't want to pay me, you want to pay Ramsey, but maybe I want a change of scenery here or something. And it seemed like it worked out well for both parties where the Ravens get a guy that they can throw into their lineup at a low cost. The Rams can move on from a guy who wasn't really working out for them at corner in their scheme, and they can go and get a guy like Ramsey. But, yeah, at this point, I would say the Ravens – Probably won it. I mean, we're going to see what happens. You never know with these things, but it's funny because they traded Kenny Young and then another fifth-round pick. And I'm lo- I'm trying to remember if it was this pick, but there was speculation that it was the fifth-round pick that they acquired in a kicker trade from this past preseason. So that was totally awesome if that were true.
0: <laughs> well, it's just it's it's kind of fascinating to me because here the Rams had a chance to have both Ramsey and Peters. And listening to, to some of the reports, it sounds like they traded Peters before they even had the Ramsey deal locked up. And and that's just that's a little surprising to me.
1: Yeah, I, you know what? I am not going to sit here and pretend like I had any idea what the perspective was. I think they probably just really liked Young in yeah. that draft. And maybe the Ravens knew that. And they said, hey, you know, we're not using him. You guys want to maybe <laughs> make a move here? And it's like, well, we could use some help on defense. Who do you got? And it's like, well... We're maybe gonna go ahead and make another acquisition at corner here if you want this guy. So yeah, I, I'm I'm not privy at all to all of those details, right. but yeah, it's just kind of one of those modern things where you you take advantage of market inefficiencies. And I think when you're constantly acquiring these draft picks and you have a lot of young talent to move, uh, you're gonna take some shots sometimes. And this definitely represents that uh, for Eric Tacasa.
0: All right, Jake. Well, I do want to get your prediction now as the Ravens go into Seattle on Sunday. I know it's a tough place to play, but it is a a top offense going up against, you know, a middle of the pack defense. I I feel like we are, we're in it for a, a pretty good offensive game on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I'm thinking somewhere around this is going to be a weird score, but I'm feeling like maybe a 31-26 type thing
0: Yeah, uh, with the
1: Seahawks coming out on top and uh, the Ravens mixing some field goals in there and maybe getting a, a late touchdown to threaten. Um, I just think the Seahawks... You know, you could say both teams are relatively equal, but just in that environment with the 12s out there rocking, I think it's going to be tough to come out of this one with a W for Baltimore. But uh, I'd definitely be elated if they did, because it is a tough place to play. And it's an organization and a team that I've really admired over the last couple of years. So getting a win there would feel pretty awesome.
0: Well, I do feel like the team that's going to win is going to have to put up 30 points. And apart from the Miami game, the Ravens haven't quite done it yet. So that uh, that feels right to me. I'm I'm glad you, you came in with that prediction.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it doesn't make me happy to do it, but <laughs> that's kind of where I'm feeling.
0: All right, Jake, if people want to follow you online, of course, if they want to subscribe to your show, they can go to spnation.com slash NFL podcast. But uh, where do they find you on Twitter?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Jake Luke. My last name is spelled L-O-U-Q-U-E for some reason. <laughs> um, you can follow our show's Twitter account. That's kind of where I do more of my NFL posting mm. uh, at Podcast Beatdown, which, you know, our website is called Baltimore Beatdown. And it's a podcast. So, you know, it's always fun coming up with those Twitter names. But yeah.
0: Well, Jake, appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to the matchup on Sunday and looking forward to chatting with you guys on your show.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's do it.